What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in. And if you're listening from an Apple device, do me a quick favor. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. Scroll down to the bottom, rate it, and leave me a review. Let me know where you're listening from. My episode today is centered around a topic which I continue to be confused as to why it's not discussed more on a national stage. Um, We just had an election. I don't think I really heard anybody talk about it. Yet, opiate addiction in America is a huge problem. It's a problem that doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status. Uh, It doesn't matter if you were the captain of the football team. If you're a boy or a girl, really doesn't matter. Um, But it's a problem that my guest, who is a a friend of mine, um, a friend who went through this struggle um, and at the peak was using heroin and meth, but is now clean and sober for over four years. Um, His story is is incredible. And his willingness to come on and, and share it in the details that he does Um, I really appreciate because I think he and I both agree the conversation is one in which can help other people. So if you know anybody uh, who's suffering from addiction, let them know that they can, you know, reach out to him, uh, listen to this, or if you know people who have family members who are suffering and they need a resource, uh, I think there's some good stuff in here. So uh, give it up for my guest and my friend. Ty Empey. But before the episode, a really quick shout out to our sponsor of this show, Action Specialty Coffee and Functional Fuels. If you haven't gone to drinkaction.com, and that's action with a K, head to Drink Action, use code word curious, and save 15% on all orders. Now look, if you want to save more because you're greedy, or you're just smart, sign up for the subscription. You'll get 20% off And you'll get products sent to your house on a monthly reoccurring basis. It's pretty cool. In addition to some of the world's best specialty roast coffee, Action also has natural supplements. Things like turmeric and hemp, things like MCT, all kinds of great fuels that keep you moving in a very good way. Go to drinkaction.com, code word curious, 15% off. Enjoy the episode. lot we need to catch up on man it's uh yeah for sure it's been close to 10 years since we've had yeah i was i was thinking about that today last time i saw you was in virginia beach in like 2012 Mm -hmm. i think that was that summer we were there right yeah we drove i was just having the same conversation i I remember driving from des moines iowa Uh to virginia beach yeah um just kind of a last minute change of uh, location for uh-huh. door-to-door alarm sales, but yep. I'm I'm really glad to see that you're doing well. I know yeah. uh, I know things got rough for you, and uh-huh. um, you know probably part of the conversation. But um, how have you been? You know, you still in Utah? Uh huh. Still in Utah. Um, are we going right now? You want me to just start getting yeah. into stuff now? Yeah, let's Perfect. go, brother. Let's we'll just Perfect. we'll just have a conversation. We'll see where it goes. Perfect. Um, 
So yeah, been in Utah um, since I saw you last. Um, I moved back here to Utah and I had gotten married and um, and so settled down here in St. George. I grew up in Northern Utah, like more like kind of by Salt Lake where the capital is, if you're familiar with Utah at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, got married and moved down to Southern Utah and it's about an hour and a half north of Vegas. And so uh, lived down there when I was married and um, I mean, since then it was, I mean, cause I got into taking drugs, like pills, smoking weed, drinking when I was out there selling alarms. And, uh, so it was, that was kind of the lifestyle and whatnot that I'd gotten used to. And then, uh, came home and, uh, kind of moved on to different jobs and whatnot, but the, the pills always kind of stayed around and then it kind of manif- manifested in the, in the marriage. Cause I kept it hidden from her for a while. Mm-hmm. And, um, once that came out, then, um, I mean, it, everything just kind of went downhill from there. Yeah. Utah is kind of known for a, a pill problem. I mean, I guess it's, it's really more, it's a, it's a North American problem now. It's pretty widespread and I, it blew, blew my mind through all of this, you know, we're going through an election and nobody mm-hmm. talking about opiate addiction. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can't throw out statistics or I can't give any numbers or nothing, but I know that like far more people are dying from heroin overdose um, and other drug related problems than people that are dying from COVID. And I know COVID's a real thing. I know that, you know, there are certain people that are more susceptible than others, but um, I, I work in addiction recovery now. And so like, I mean, I see and hear about people all the time that are dying and it's like I mean they're here one day gone the next and it's like there's no disease to catch other than you know they just decided that they were going to inject heroin on their own and not tell anybody about it and then somebody finds them 10 hours later and they're not waking up so Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely weird It's, it's one thing that I never imagined I would ever be a drug addict or be addicted to anything I always thought that you know, I was stronger than that or whatever. And it just, it was so gradual and so kind of cunning, if you will, that it just kind of crept into my life. And once it was there, I, I did not want to give it up. And I, I was, I just, I loved it. How how long have you been clean now? Um, So almost four and a half years. So the last time I used anything was June 16th, 2016. uh, And that's the last day that I was arrested and uh, went into jail for a couple months and then uh, got into a rehab program from there. Was there, like, so, I mean, you're you're struggling with this, right? Not wanting to give it up. You have this Mm -hmm. event that occurs, you get arrested. Mm -hmm. Was there anything different this time as opposed to times before where I'm assuming, you know, people had found out and there were consequences along the way but I mean what was what changed that day well so that last time that I went to jail in June of 2016 that was the first time that I like woke up in jail and I was like gosh I have to go through this again but prior to that I mean we're talking years of just destruction and I I mean it was I mean because I I had started using probably back in 2011, I think, um, or 2010. I don't, I can't even remember, but um, I mean, things didn't 
start going bad until the people that I didn't want to know about it started finding out. And so I kept it hidden from my wife for a long time. Um, she didn't know anything about it. Um, and then came home really high one night and she started asking questions and I couldn't hide it anymore. And so finally admitted to everything and it just kind of turned her world upside down. And she was like, I knew something was off, but I couldn't really tell what it was. And uh, so she ends up kicking me out, ended up moving into my own apartment. And she said, if you can get this figured out, then you can come move back in. Our, my son was about one year old at the time. And um, so at that time when I should have gotten it figured out and like should have really gotten on top of everything, I was like, hey, I have this freedom now. Nobody's around, nobody's watching me. Um, ended up getting my first DUI uh, here in St. George and she was like you need to get out of here like so that was the first time I went to jail uh, and then right after that happened I moved back up to Utah County um, more towards northern Utah and um, got my second DUI within like a month um, and then that time the judge looked at like saw that I got a DUI just about a month prior and he was like it looks like you're headed in the wrong direction so I'm going to send you to jail for six months. So I went to jail for six months that first time. And that's where, that's where it really started getting bad. Uh, Cause up till that point, I was just taking pills, smoking weed, drinking a little bit. And um, when I went to jail that one time, that's when I it all that did that, that first time was taught me how to be a better criminal basically. And mm -hmm. so for the next three years, it was in and out of jail. And I bet I've been booked in, at least over a dozen times um all that happened leading up to that last time going to jail in june of 2016 yeah, so there, there's a lot like there's a lot more than just that one time sitting in jail i decided to get clean like it was it was years of you know destruction and burning people and just falling on my face yeah it, it blows my mind because the last time we have spoken really was in 2011, which mm -hmm. like, that's right at the beginning of all of this for you. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe there were rumblings at the time when we were in Virginia that like mm -hmm. you weren't acting like yourself, but mm -hmm. I don't think it was anywhere near obviously where I had gotten to. And now mm -hmm. I talk with you and you're, you're the tie that I remember back in 2011. Like there's really no change. So to, to right. hear and and think i mean i knew things had gotten rough but to hear all of that yeah. um it's incredible that you're you know sitting here talking with me mm -hmm. so yeah. i mean it, when you're at your peak of addiction how much how many pills a day are you are you taking is it so the the peak of my addiction i'd gotten into heroin and meth um and so back in around 2011 when i was selling alarms um, Adderall was my first thing that I began to love. Uh, and it all started as, Hey, we're knocking doors for 10 hours a day, take some Adderall gives you energy. And I, I remember, um, the, like the first time I took some Adderall, I mean, it was, that was like, it was, that was the thing that just solved all my problems. Uh, I mean, I had more energy. I felt like I could work longer. Um, I felt better. And so I, I was more confident in how I talked. Um, and then as my like tolerance for Adderall 
um, started going up. I, I wasn't sleeping. So then that's when, you know, people were like, oh, smoke some weed, drink a little bit. Here's some lore tabs. Here's some Percocets. And so then it, um, you know, after pretty much like into year two, you know, it was, I needed my uppers during the day and my downers at night. And like, without the two, I just like, I already couldn't like function without them. And then um, I slowed down when I got done selling alarms, I slowed down um, on the pills, um, slowed down on smoking weed, obviously, because that's a lot harder to hide when you stink. And um, but I would still was still taking Adderall. Um, it, the pills were was pretty easy to hide from my wife at the time. Um, she was pretty naive to drugs and how all that worked and whatnot. And so, um, but then after I got divorced and moved back up north and started going to jail, um, I started hanging around guys that I was locked up with and, you know, going to parties. And that's when I started getting into heroin and meth. Um, and that was, that's probably about, um, I mean, so probably 2015, 14, 15, and 16 were my darkest days um, at the at the height of my addiction. Um, and I mean, I was I was using heroin. Um, I'd use meth as often as I could find it. Um, I mean, I was I was on ended up being on probation, and so like I was getting drug tested by a cop regularly, and he was just assigned to follow me everywhere. I mean, he knew where I lived, knew where I slept knew where I worked like he knew my daily schedule and so he would pretty much just I mean when you're on probation it's just you have a police officer that's assigned to you that can show up at any time and test you and so um I had um I, I would use air dusters cough syrup um I mean acid like all these things that don't show up in regular drug tests so I was really just consuming anything that I could get my hands on that would change my state of mind um, and, um, it was just, I mean, so did, did the like combination or did the collection of collateral and damage just over the years, did that ultimately start feeding that addiction even more? Absolutely. Like it was, um, a lot of people, and I get asked this question a lot, like a lot of people, you know, ask the question, well, like was your life bad or like why did you start using drugs and for me starting using drugs was it was a solution to working more and making more money um and in the beginning it was very social and there was guys that i would use with and smoke weed with or drink with or get pills from or whatever and it was all very social but then um like it turned into a very dark secretive um lonely sort of thing and i was doing it by myself um, and, uh, all these things started like falling apart in my life. Like my wife found out and then I got fired from a couple jobs and, um, my wife wants to like get a divorce and, you know, I get a DUI and all these bad things are happening to me. Right. And at the time, like all these things are falling down around me and in my head, like, I was like, gosh, I just need to get drunk. Like today was a a shitty day like it was a hard day I need to I just need to relax or like if something good happened I'd be like I needed I need to reward myself um and so it was like in the beginning it was you know just to it was new and exciting and hey these pills actually do give you more energy and but then once the de the dependency happened 
like, man, drugs was my solution to fixing everything in my head because like, oh, it's a bad day, take something, drink something, smoke something, whatever. And like in my head, drugs was what would fix all that. And not at any time did I ever associate it with, hey, all these bad things are happening in my life because of the drugs. I felt like I had to have the drugs in order to get through all these bad things that started happening. That was literally going to be my next question was, you know, if you ever did make that association, because I think when you're on the outside and you're, it's frustrating for people. And I, you know, before we had this conversation, I was thinking about all the people that I know that have passed away from drug addiction. It's, it's a really bad problem where I grew up. Um, You know, there's, you know, six or seven people that I thought of very quickly that Mm -hmm. are no longer alive because of opiate addiction. And I've always wondered, and, you know, I think that I'm realistic enough to understand that nobody's in a lot of cases, they're not like people aren't looking to be in pain and to have their life falling apart. But it's really easy when you're on the outside, just kind of being frustrated and saying, why are you doing this? Like you, you don't see the correlation that your behavior and your actions are the, causing the, the pain and the problems. Right. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So it's like, I mean, it really is like, I mean, it's crazy because when you're a kid and like you're growing up and your parents and teachers and, you know, people at church or wherever are saying, don't do drugs, you'll end up dying, they'll kill you. And they say all these things and it'll take your soul and all these things that you're told as a kid like i remember when i first started getting into drugs and every time i would try something new i would be like everybody's been lying to me my whole life like this is fantastic um and so it was i mean because unfortunately drugs are very effective at making you feel good and like you get to the point where like that feeling is more important to you than anything else. Like no matter who you have to burn or what you have to do or how much trouble you have to get into, like that chasing that high is, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy how much it can creep in and just overtake your life. Well, and, and I don't have the perspective at all to answer this question, but as you're saying that, I wonder is there more of a need for honest conversation? Because when I was a kid, dare class perpetuated fear, you know, like mm-hmm. if you do cocaine, you're going to die. It's mm-hmm. going to cause you to have a heart attack. Like there was all these scare tactics. And then you get older, you have experiences, you come across things and you realize to your point just a minute ago that, well, that's not accurate. This isn't mm-hmm. what's happening. And so all of the things that you were told become minimal are minimized and you don't take them serious. And I, and I wonder if the conversation was an honest conversation, one in which isn't saying that you're going to take this and it's going to be horrible right away, but that there's a trapping here that you're going to take that and you're going to feel great. And that's actually the problem. And you know, I don't know if having that type of an honest conversation realistically would make a difference, but I don't see any benefit to 
creating kind of a false pretense around the negatives of these things because it only seems to fuel it. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. So my son is seven now, and I already am talking to him about drugs. And I've, I've told him some of the things you were just saying, like, I've told him that I've been to jail. And um, like, I mean, he was like, what, you've been to jail? I remember when, the first time I told him I've been to jail, and he, he just kind of associates it as like, you know, the cartoons and the bad guys and this and that. And like, and so, um, I mean, I had to explain it to him on a very simple way for a seven-year-old kid to understand like I got into drugs and alcohol and in the beginning um, it's stuff that you take and it makes you feel really good but it can change your life and it really started making me make bad decisions and I started going down a path that led me to a different direction because I wasn't able to think straight when I was taking these substances that I thought were making me feel good um, and so I like how you said that like just changing the narrative a little bit and like I don't know like I'm I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say anything about like, oh, we should change the D.A.R.E. program or, you know, have this type of program in the schools. But like, I know for me, with my kid, like I am, I like, I mean, I because I, I look at the way that my parents raised me and it was always don't talk about it. Like drugs are bad. They'll kill you. You'll end up behind a dumpster and you'll be dead. They're bad. Like yeah. and like and that that's just it's not the case. Unfortunately, drinking feels really good and um and so like I don't know I I contrast that to how I want my kid to think about it like I want him to know that I got addicted to drugs and what it did to my life and that's why I'm not with his mom anymore and like we had to get divorced like I and so I'm I'm 100 percent yeah it's that's got to be tough you know that I have a a one-year-old right now and Mm -hmm. You know, you, you think about letting your kids down and just anything like that. And I think you're in a unique position where, like I was saying a little bit ago, if I didn't know everything that happened and I just happened to reconnect with you 10 years later, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have had a clue. And I think mm-hmm. that speaks volumes to be able to share those experiences, whether it's with your son or in rehab. I know you work for a treat. Do you do currently still work for a treatment center, correct? Yeah, it's a detox center. So I, I worked at a I worked at a rehab center that did like inpatient and outpatient treatment. Um, and now I work for a detox center. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, I think to be able to share honest experiences and the trappings that come along with addiction in a way that you're I mean, that's the benefit of having ex addicts and people who are in recovery. Um mm-hmm be a part of these programs because it's just a lot easier to relate with people and to be able to understand what they're kind of going through. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually was speaking at the college here in town at Dixie state university. And, um, just yesterday actually to, um, a class full of nursing students and, um, was just telling them about, cause the, the topic of the class was, um, community health, um, and how to get connected to the different, you know, healthcare industries that are out there. And this is their week that they're talking about substance abuse. And so um, their professor has me come in every semester. And so I get to talk to um, the students and I was telling them, um, I mean, like, I, I, I don't believe in a God that like wanted to punish me for those bad years of addiction. I don't believe that he was like, okay, I'm going to 
I'm going to make you a drug addict so that I can have you help people in the future. Like, I don't believe that. Like, I feel like it's my own choices is what led me to like the misery that I experienced. But I do believe that like with everything that I've been through and everything that I've learned, I do feel like God is using me right now because like, I mean, people helped me get into rehab um, and it's, when I was using, there wasn't a chance in hell I was going to just start like trying to find ways to help myself out of that. Like you just get stuck and you're okay with that. And um, there's people that ended up helping me get in. And so um, it, it's really fun to be on this side of it now. Um, and like, I'll have a mom or a dad call and they'll say, Hey, my son's been using heroin. We're trying to get him off. We don't know how to talk to him. What does your program look like? And I'll tell them what we can do for him. And um, but then the next, you know, big thing is, okay, well, how do we get him to come in? And so I always tell them, let me talk to him. Don't like, I mean, because in my story, my dad, my friends, my family, everybody was telling me to go to rehab for years. And because it was coming from them, I wanted nothing to do with it, even though it's exactly what I needed to do, because it was coming from somebody that was that close. And there was like, so much like disappointment and um like all of that that was wrapped up into the situation anytime they would try and say hey you need to get help i mean coming from my dad that was hey you're a failure you need to be fixed and so it's like well f you like i'm gonna do what i want was there ever so. a point where you felt like you you wanted to be the one who made that choice and you always kind of felt like you were going to make that choice really soon. So when somebody would bring it up, it's kind of like, you're, you're taking that away from me. I want to be able to tell you guys that, Hey, I'm making positive steps in my life. But the fact of the matter is that never comes to fruition. And so um, you're always there. Not, not necessarily. I would say at least in my case, like I, I just, I wanted to fight anything that they wanted me to do and so like I was just I was in such a bad headspace that like I mean if they would have said hey go hike up this hill and there's a million dollars up there I'd say f you I'm not I'm not doing what you tell me you know what I mean mm -hmm. no matter what it would have been and so um I I didn't I wasn't really in the mindset of wanting to get clean I mean I I had accepted the fact that I was going to use drugs or alcohol every day until the day I died and I was probably going to die early and I was okay with it. Like I had just gotten to the point where I accepted that. And, um, luckily because of the court system that last time I was like, cause going to jail used to be in the beginning, it was something that scared me. Like it was, it was like, Holy crap. Like what a, it was like a new world. It was scary. Uh, but then after being in jail several times, like it's, it's routine. It's like, oh, I've done this. I can put your head down. I can do 30 days. I can do 60 days or whatever. But then like I did that so many times. It was like, gosh, I'm, I'm sick of this. Like I might have a problem. I can't believe I have to start all over again. And um, then when the judge sentenced me, he's like, I'll release you only if you go directly to a residential rehab program. And so I was like, yeah send it like it's better than sitting in jail i've sat in jail before so i might as well like hear what they have to say and then when i got into the rehab program it was just 
way different than I had ever had it imagined in my head to be. And there was just all sorts of healing that happened there. And it was, it just, I mean, the rest is history from there. So you went just one time to rehab then Mm -hmm. it's like, that's not typical, is it? No, there's, um, I mean, lots of people do it, but I also see lots of people that they go to rehab and then, you know, they get to the outpatient level and then they start relapsing and then they got to go back to residential. Um, so I definitely do see lots of people have to go back. Is, is that typically because of maybe not changing the scenery? You go back and you're around all the same people again, or is it really just that inner sickness that doesn't allow you to let that go? Um, for me, it had just, um, I mean, I sat in the last time I was in jail, I sat in jail for two months and I was in the residential program for three months. And then, um, there was a lot of good things that happened in there. And so I had enough willingness to keep going. And so I got into their outpatient program, moved into a sober living house, um, and just kept going to counseling and therapy and like all that stuff. And just following suggestions, what these professionals were telling me to do. And, you know, before you know it, I've got six months clean. I've got eight months clean, nine months clean, 10 months clean. And it wasn't until about that time, um, right about the nine or 10 month mark when I was like, you know, what? I can do this. Like, all I have to do is just stay connected to healthy people and just take it one day at a time. And um, I mean, I had gotten in, involved in 12 step groups um, and, you know, had a good support system and just really just kind of took suggestions and just kind of did what people were telling me, Hey, you know, do this. This is what I did do this. This is what I did. And um, right about that time, I was like, I, I can do this. I don't ever have to go back to that way of life. And, and it's not that life got any easier. It's just life just kept getting better. And so like relationships were coming back. Um, like, I mean, I had a job selling insurance again. Um, I was paying off court fines. Like I was able to see my son again, like all these good things started happening. And it was just, I mean, until all of that started happening, I, I hadn't like tasted success in anything for like five years. And so like I, the five years prior to that was just failure after failure, after failure, after failure. And I was just, I either needed to die or just be okay with who I was. And I was okay with, I was just a, I was just a junkie now. And, um, I didn't have any understanding that I could ever stop using. And so after I'd been clean for about 10 months, I was like, you know what, I, I can do this. And I started to, you know, get a taste of who I was and what things were like before I got into drugs. And it was just, I, I don't ever want to go back to that. So was it a, like a familiar feeling? Yeah, it was, it was feeling like, Hey, like this is who I'm supposed to be. Cause one thing, one of the biggest things that rehab taught me was all these character defects that I had, like lying and being egotistical and trying to control things and manipulating people and like all these things, like I wasn't even aware that they were so rampant in my life. And so getting into rehab and having somebody say, Hey, you're a pretty prideful mother effer. Like, 
this is how you're coming across and a group a room full of people are saying yeah like you know the other day i was doing this and you came and you did this and it was just it was almost embarrassing at how spot on accurate people were and to have it said in a room full of people where it was a safe environment like i needed to hear those things and i would have never heard them any other way and um i mean that when i was in that residential program that's when i was like okay like uh, that's not who i am that's not who i want to be known as that's not how i want to be i need and that was the first time in years that i stopped like blaming all these outside factors and kind of took a look inward and was like okay like i i need to fix this i, I don't want to do that anymore and so just kind of becoming aware of these things and noticing it when i was acting in certain ways and um and then you know before you know it it's just like gosh i feel like i feel like i'm me again and you know so definitely yeah do you feel like talking about it is a way that helps you continue your sobriety um i did a podcast mm -hmm. recently with uh an army veteran who mm -hmm. Uh, won two bronze stars in Afghanistan and was involved in a couple of really um, heavy battles. And um, part of dealing with his PTSD after years of it was writing it down. And now this process of socializing a book and, and sharing the stories with people. And he felt that that was for the first time, you know, getting over that hill and, and exposing himself to other people, his faults, and, and it really allowed him to kind of be free of it in a way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, because for me, like, during that time of my life, kind of like I was saying earlier, it got very lonely and isolated and just dark. And like, I mean, I, I just kind of fed off this belief that nobody knew what I was really going through. And the only people in my life that I knew that used drugs and alcohol were people that I was either buying stuff from or selling stuff to or using stuff with or whatever. And, um, and so I just, I, it got to the point where I felt like I was the only person that I knew of that had a problem like this. And, um, and so it just, I mean, I, for years, I would like, I mean, I lived out of my dad's garage for like two years, sleeping on a hide bed in like a disgusting, nasty garage in this old house um, that I grew up in. And like, I mean, I didn't talk to anybody. Like I wouldn't go anywhere. I wouldn't, I didn't want to, I just like went into hiding basically and I'd just get high every day. And so by the time I got to an environment where I was pretty much forced to start talking about stuff, just just the like having to take your thoughts that are in your head and organize the thoughts into sentences and words to have to make my story make sense to somebody else in the process of doing that helped me to like put things together and to understand things better um as i'm trying to like explain things to like a therapist or other people in group or like whatever and so talking about it is very it i mean it's there's something magic about it and um 
I mean, if, if you were to go out on the streets right now and you find, you know, the worst crack addict that you know or could find, and you say, hey, let's bring in off the streets and have you talk about your life, they're going to be like, dude, get out of here. Like, I'm not doing that. And so it's it's one of the hardest things to do because you don't want to talk about it. I mean, it's it's embarrassing. Like, there's, I mean, there's, I, my life had gotten so pathetic and there's like embarrassing things that, I never want anybody to know, but like, quite honestly, I mean, I mean, I could tell you stories about how on that high to bed every night I'd get pissed drunk, pee the bed, wake up, bed soaking wet, clothes are soaking wet, and I'd just take off my dirty clothes, put on some other dirty clothes that were dry, hop on my bike and go start riding to the train station so I could go up to Salt Lake and go find something to get off the streets in Salt Lake. And like, I mean, it's pathetic. Nobody really wants to talk about that stuff. It's not glamorous, you know, but like, I mean, it's real. It like, I mean, I, I used to, I used to wake up in the morning and get on my bike. Um, and I was, I, I would almost every day I would think like, gosh, like I am so pathetic, but like, I was okay with it. Like, and that's, well, that's the hard that you thing can about like it. Look back on it with some levity and mm-hmm. you know, I can see it in your face a little bit. It's, it's not funny, but it's like, in a way, knowing where you're at now and, and kind of where you came from, there is kind of just like a part of it that's like, man, how, how did it happen? Yeah. But so grateful that I've gotten to where I am now. And right. so, I, you know, one thing I did want to ask, right? A lot of talk about decriminalization of drugs. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll be honest, right? Like I, I'm a big, I'm a very strong advocate of cannabis and I don't want to, mm-hmm. we don't have to go down that road, you know, what yeah, I mean? no. but, um, you know, I, I'm not sure how I feel about decriminalization of all drugs. And I, I see it from all perspectives. I think psychedelics have a strong proven history of benefit in a medical capacity, whether it's PTSD, even addiction. I think there's a lot of people who go down to Mexico and, and uh, take Ibogaine and mm-hmm. use that as a way to get over drug addiction. So I think if we could free things up so that as a society, we can get the benefits and not look at everything as drugs, but actually look at what are the, the risks and the rewards and how can things be leveraged in a positive as opposed to a negative. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people feel like when you look at other countries, decriminalization of drugs will solve a lot of the problems that we have. And Mm -hmm. as somebody who's gone through that and the stories you've shared with me, it sounds like being thrown in jail because of what you were doing was a saving grace for you and might be the reason why I'm sitting here having a conversation with you. And I don't take Mm -hmm. that lightly, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I I really do want to understand from your perspective, like, is that a slippery slope? Is there some truth to it or are you kind of a, an outlier? So I'll say this. Um, I am grateful for the court system. Um, it did play a big part in my story. Um, but like now we're kind of venturing into, you know, the grounds of, you know, when did this war on drugs change in our society begin? How did it get so deeply rooted in our country? And like, why is it so, you know, shunned and like frowned upon and why does nobody talk about it and you know there's I I really do think that like our society in general 
I don't know other countries. I've never been to any other countries, but I know like in the state where I live and in the country I live in, like, I mean, it's just people who use drugs are like bad, miserable people. And it's almost like they're just like, mm-hmm. just like the pits of our society, you know? And um, when in reality, like there's, there is people that I have met because of my addiction that like I never would have ever had the chance to spend time with. Like I've spent time with, you know, guys that have been homeless on the streets of New York for years. And like, you know, people that have, you know, I mean, lawyers that have fallen into addiction and then have lost everything, um, doctors. Um, and like, and so addiction is something that like, it, it doesn't discriminate. Like it can, it can happen to anybody. And like, and so there's, as far as like legalizing it or like decriminalization to some degree, I agree with that. Um, I know, I know for me, like I, when I went to rehab, I went to an abstinence based 12 step based program that was big on abstinence. And, um, you know, that's what I did for, you know, the first several years. Um, I still go to those meetings. Um, and that I still, for me in my story, abstinence is something that I'm probably always going to live by for myself. Um, but like when I started working in recovery, it was right about the time I had been clean for a year and, um, the, the rehab center where I went through rehab, um, they called and they said, Hey, we want you to come work for us down in St. George. And so that gave me a chance to move back down here to St. George. And so for the last three years, um, over three years, Um, I've had the chance to work and kind of see the industry side of it in, you know, these different ways of helping people. And, you know, there's, there is abstinence-based programs that um, works for a lot of people. Um, There's a nonprofit out here in Utah, it's called USARA. Um, I won't talk too much about them, but their motto is all pathways to recovery. And I feel like I've more adopted that sort of mentality uh, because, for a long time, like, I would, like, there's, there's heroin addicts that, like, they'll get off heroin, and they'll go get on methadone or suboxone, and um, that's kind of like a taboo topic within the recovery world, it's like, okay, are those people clean, are they sober, whatever, and, you know, there's lots of arguments that can be made on both sides, but, um, like, I, I think that, I mean, you take somebody that's been a heroin addict for 10 years, and they're, you know, can't keep a job, they're not paying their bills, they're not, I mean, they're breaking into places and stealing things. I mean, if if he starts smoking weed every day, and that keeps him from, you know, sticking a needle in his arm, and he's, he's able to hold down a job, like more power to you, like, what can I do to help you? Yeah, I've, I'm part of the Pennsylvania medical program. And just being at the dispensary and having conversations, I've talked to a number of people that are recovering heroin addicts and, mm-hmm. you know, from everything that they've told me, it has been a, a really strong benefit. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've, it's something I've never experienced. I've, uh, you know, I've taken some pain pills from injury and probably right. taken too many uh, mm-hmm. to feel a little bit of a buzz, but luckily for me, it never went past, you know, when the bottle ran out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you know, aside from everything that's the obvious, I mean, what, what can a parent, a friend, brother, sister, you know, is there anything that people can do? Or is it one of those things where there's really nothing you can do from the outside and you just have to allow somebody to make their own mistakes and, and find their way back home? My best advice is get them in touch with somebody that's in recovery, somebody that's been there before, somebody that has pulled themselves out, um, that's kind of experienced a lot of the same things. Because um, again, going all I have is my story to compare things to, right? And so I know for me, I had people that were telling me to go to rehab. I had a probation officer that was threatening me with going to jail, even did several times. Um, none of that like ever i mean i was just willing to fight anybody that was trying to tell me to change my life sort of thing and it wasn't until i started getting around people that were in the same boat as me and i was around people that were had been where i had been they had been clean longer than me and they had advice and just like general vibes about themselves that like I kind of craved right like they they would talk about you know successes that they had had or dude I was in the same place this is what I had to do I was struggling with this this is how it worked for me and like I would just feed off that stuff and so like being around like I didn't even know that the recovery world existed until I went to rehab like I was I was a drug addict for years and years I didn't even I didn't even know what Alcoholics Anonymous was. I didn't know what Narcotics Anonymous was. I didn't know that there was people meeting less than a mile from where I lived every night. Like I didn't I didn't know anybody that could like take me to one of those meetings, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so in those types of environments where there's a whole bunch of people, there's there's just there's an incredible power in like being in a room and like, you know, you don't have to say anything, but you know that everybody else in the room has also burned their lives to the ground, but they're here and they're sitting in the chair and they're talking and just that alone, like take all the words or any advice or any, anything that you learn from those meetings, just the feeling of like, okay, here's 30 people in this room just knowing that you're not alone and that there's nothing wrong with you. Like you're just dealing with something that's bigger and more powerful than you. And like, for me, I know that like, I can't, like, I, I don't dare. I would love to smoke weed again. I loved smoking weed in the past. Um, but like, I know for me, I don't dare do it because I, I have control issues like I can't I can't control it you know mm -hmm. and people I mean if if you smoke weed or if Joe Schmo smokes weed and like I mean it's not a problem I mean you you talk about you know you've had pain pills and you just stop taking them at the end of the bottle like mm -hmm. I hit the end of the bottle and I'm like already making phone calls trying to see like who has what that I can buy this and then you know before you know it for me it's only a matter of time until I'm back on heroin and going to jail again. And that terrifies me. So yeah, that's why I don't mess with it. But yeah, it's interesting. Like I've, I've never really felt anything in my life from a physical addiction perspective. Mm -hmm. I've, I've had psychological 
addiction. I think everybody does. There's things in your life that if you really take a step back and you look at, you're like, why do I do that all the time? Like it's, yeah. it's psychologically ingrained in your head, but I've never had something that, you know, like alcohol, how, you know, you, you need to go and have that drink or, mm-hmm. you know, you hear people say they get dope sick. I, I've never had to experience anything like that. And for you, was it, was it more, was it really 50, 50? Was it one or the other that really drove that constant craving? So for me, it definitely got to the point, and this is the case with most people that use heroin or like severe alcoholics, like we're not using to get high anymore. We're using so that we don't get sick. Like being dope sick sucks. And every time I had to detox was in jail. Like the only, cause that was the only, the only time I would ever be in a place where I literally couldn't just get up and go get something. And so there was times in my life when alcohol was my thing and I would drink a fifth of vodka every day, no matter what. And so then like all of a sudden, like your body gets so used to that, right? After weeks and weeks and months and months and um, all of a sudden you just stop and like your body has been used to pulling all this energy and calories from alcohol and like all of a sudden you don't have that anymore and you haven't eaten anything except for stolen gas station hot dogs in the last like two weeks and um all of a sudden your body just starts shaking like i mean you're shaking you're puking your body just tries so hard to puke but it ha- you have nothing in you like i mean you're sweating you're freezing you're sweating you're freezing um heroin's worse um like i mean you're just like everything hurts and like and so i mean for me like it it was to the point where if i didn't use heroin i was gonna get sick and so like all of my like fiending and like the crazy things that i would do to find drugs or get drugs or whatever was all fueled by this i don't want to get sick and so a lot of times like by the time i would actually get to use like it would just make me feel normal again. Like, and it, it wasn't, it wasn't because I wanted to get super high and feel good. Like, I mean, it was just so that I wouldn't get sick and wouldn't start puking my brains out sort of thing. Yeah. Now, and, and now it's even more of a dangerous game. And I don't know if you dealt with this when you were using, but it seems like people who I know who have, passed away is a lot of times because of fentanyl mm-hmm. and things that are now being kind of laced in was that a worry that you had or is um, that not even i mean not really that that's been a that, there's been a large like increase in that in like just the last couple of years um i mean there was i mean you never heard of fentanyl prior to 2016 i mean when you did it was the patches but like Mm-hmm. those weren't that cool but now it's like fentanyls and everything and it's being made super cheap over the borders and whatnot so um i i never really experienced much with fentanyl wow but but there was a i mean without saying names or nothing i mean we had a client come in just last week that um she relapsed um, and thought it would be a good idea to just use straight fentanyl, which you don't really hear a lot of stories um, about people using straight fentanyl. You usually hear about it being laced and other stuff and whatnot. But um, 
she her her mom actually recently died and she overdosed um and um not the mom the the girl that ended up coming in but um i mean she took one too many and found herself in the hospital and had to end up coming to detox and whatnot so it's i don't know fentanyl is not something that i ever experienced but like i am starting to see more and more cases involving fentanyl Mm -hmm. yeah you had said something the other day about seeing people who go through the system some who are successful others who aren't is there a part of you ever that see i'm sure you see yourself in a lot of these people and you question any of that like how it is that you did luck out and and you're still here to help people i know you said earlier you don't look at that as like it was laid out for you as far as destiny but Mm -hmm. yeah so it's um i mean one of the so the 12 step you know in the 12 step programs is having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps we practice these principles in all our affairs um and one of the biggest things is carrying the message to the addict who still suffers and so luckily i get to do that every day with my job and so literally every day i'm on the phone talking to parents or potential clients um sharing those experiences and um there are situations where like i'm talking to people and they're just not ready they don't want to come in and you know i look at that and i'm i'm like gosh i'm so glad I'm not there anymore. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know why, you know, it only took once for me. And I don't, I don't know how, I don't know why I'm alive today. Um, but like, I mean, for whatever reason, and I don't know, I mean, just looking back on that three months that I spent in that residential program, like there was just so much like waking up that happened for me and I was just like I mean that was the first time for me that I was able to like kind of start understanding that okay I want I want to change like and like that gave me enough willingness to start doing things that other people told me to do instead of doing what I wanted to do and so that that's always one of my biggest things when I talk to people is dude like are you tired yet why don't you try this? Like get out of the driver's seat. If you do this, this, and this, see how you feel. And if you don't like it, you can go right back to heroin or whatever. And so, um, I don't know why, you know, I've made it and others don't. Um, I mean, I think that if there was any one magic answer, I mean, I think we would have known that already, Mm -hmm. but I mean, it's just every person, their stories are so similar yet. Every story is so different. So I don't know. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on here and share it. It's, it's really good to see you, man. Like I, I I had an idea after I started to like, you know, go back and, Mm -hmm. but I, it's, it's really good to know that uh, things are working out for you and that you're, that you're sharing this journey with people. Yeah. It's, it's fun. Like I said, it's not something I ever, wanted as a young person i never wanted to grow up and be a recovering addict or whatever but um you know they say that we we have to recover out loud so that people don't have to suffer in silence and so i i believe in that and that's kind of why i try to talk about it as much as i can because i mean i've just gotten to the point where look it is what it is it's 
ugly and disgusting, but guess what? You have some ugly and disgusting things in your life. Cool. Let's talk about it. Like you don't, you don't have to stay stuck there. Um, so it's, I thank you for having me on. Like it's good to catch up with you. Uh, when you send that message, you're like, Hey, love to have you on. I was like, hell yeah. Like it's, so I think it's cool that you're doing this podcast and it's an honor. So how about you?